Welcome. We're so glad uh, you chose to be, you know, with us today. So uh, for most of the summer, we were in a series we called Masterpiece. And uh, in that series, we were kind of talking about the habits, you know, the disciplines, the circumstances that God uses to grow and stretch our faith. And the one uh, that we didn't talk about this summer um, is God's Word, right? Like reading Scripture, studying Scripture, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to launch into a new series beginning today in the book of Galatians. And we're just going to take the fall and probably go a little bit into the spring uh, in this book. And I am so excited because I believe God is going to do such good things in your heart through this series. Now just a reminder, right? God can't do good things in your heart like if you're not here. So one of the challenges of this series, right, is we want to invite you to go on this journey with us and to be here every week uh, as, you know, as you're able, whether it's first service or second service. Because here's what we know. We know without a doubt. I mean, this is, we know this not only from a study of Scripture. We know this not only because of hundreds of years of gathering together in the local church. But, you know, in recent years, a lot of research has been done. And we know that based on that research that the number one indicator of whether someone is uh, growing in their intimacy with Jesus, the number one uh, thing that's going to move someone forward in their faith um, is regular exposure to the Word of God. Um, and, you know, you may read God's Word and think, okay, I just read God's Word, nothing happened. You know, I feel just exactly like I did before. And that's okay, because this is just something that happens slowly over time as we get more and more exposure. So that's kind of the journey, you know, that we're going to take uh, together this fall. Now, listen, wherever the Word is preached, wherever the good news of Jesus or the gospel, gospel just means like good news, right, is proclaimed, we know that powerful things happen, but here's something we're going to see in the book of Galatians and that we see elsewhere in Scripture. The gospel, as powerful as it is to transform human lives, it's kind of weak, it's kind of frail in the flesh. And that's an odd statement to make, so I want to say what I mean by that. Although the gospel is super powerful at changing the hearts, minds, and lives of men and women, we, in our, in our bodies, in our flesh, we have a tendency to kind of drift into one of two what we would call gospel perversions. Uh, so we drift away from the true gospel into one of these two perversions, and uh, Paul says, look, when you've drifted into one of these perversions, it's really no gospel at all. And so I want to kind of walk you through what these are before we dive into the verses a little more specifically. So the one I think that's most common, both in our midst and in the time in which Paul was writing, is that, um, you know, the gospel's heard, you know, I receive it, I accept it, I believe it, but that just sounds too easy. So I need to help a brother out. I need to help Jesus out by adding and doing all these other things to kind of cover my bases just in case because this gospel thing seems a little bit too easy, right? I mean, surely 
just believing that can't help me or save me so I'll help God out and I'll do all these extra things and then we get into a mindset with God where when we're doing those things we think God is pleased with us and when we're not well we don't and listen folks here's the reality about this when this starts to creep in it's just exhausting I mean it's just it's just exhausting and that's not what Jesus means for us right uh, I think the error number two is just as commonplace uh, so you know if the gospel you know is is that easy right then people go some people hear that and they go oh man that's like the greatest message ever and that means I can live my life exactly the way I want to live my life and I've kind of got God over a barrel and God has to forgive me no matter how I live and no matter what I do right and so what that looks like in a town like Shelbyville Indiana you know is maybe we go to church once a week or at least when we're caught up on our sleep right maybe we're in a group maybe we're not um, but you know and but even if I am in a group I'm not in a group to grow in intimacy with Jesus or be his disciple I'm in a group to check off a box this is one of the things that I offer to God right to kind of help him out and I've drifted in my understanding of the gospel right and so if that's me uh, then you know I'm gonna listen to Brad or some other teacher at SCC yell at us once in a while right you know we're gonna sing some songs and then we're gonna go home and we're all gonna get on with our lives and this is kind of our, but it's just boxes right that we're checking and so there's a disconnect between what I say I believe and the way I actually live my life with the other six and a half, seven days a week, right? And so we, things like, we say things like this when we drift this direction. We go, hey, I was baptized when I was a kid. I go to church on the weekends. But, you know, the reality is there's no shame or guilt, like, right, like over sin. I don't feel remorse for the bad things that I do. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not passionately in love with Jesus, right? I mean, I'm just checking boxes. And, and it's so easy, you know, to kind of move that way, right? It just, it just is. Now, the good news, so there's actually good news about the good news this morning. The good news is there are, there are some of us here today, and, and we think we know what the good news of Jesus is, but we've never done a deep dive. And because we haven't done a deep dive, um, man, we're limping. And I want to tell you why you're limping. Because you, like me, maybe growing up, right, you knew there was a Jesus. You knew he kind of died on the cross. But you had no idea what that had to do with you uh, or what it meant. And, you know, maybe you're still there today. You're trying to sort all that out. And we would say, that's awesome. We're so glad that you're here, right? Um, but for you, if you're kind of in that mindset, the book of Galatians is going to blow your mind. I mean, it is going to expand your horizons. And more importantly, you are going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And there are others of you here, and you are super busy with all kinds of religious activities. But if you were honest, there is no real love for the Lord in your heart, right? And you're trying to get love for the Lord and from the Lord just through a bunch of busyness. 
and we're going to go after this, and it's not working, and you're exhausted. Listen, I come across 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds all the time who have bailed on Jesus, and they've never really actually tried Jesus. They think they have, right? But they haven't. And they'll say things like this. Man, I tried, you know, with all my might to do this. I gave it everything I had. I did this. I did that. But it didn't work for me, right? And I always want to point out, you know what? That is like saying, look, I tried to love this girl. I tried to. I mean, I looked at her Facebook page. And I looked at all the music that she liked. And I listened to it. And I sang the songs that she loves, right? And then I looked at all the books she liked to read. And I, I read all those books. And I watched all the movies that she likes to watch, right? But you know, it's just not going to work. No, actually, you don't know that girl. You're just stalking her on Facebook, right? You've never met her. You don't know a thing about her. So stop it, okay? Stop stalking. See, here's the reality. Some of us, this is the way we live for Jesus. We, have, we know all kinds of things about Jesus, right? We have, and you know what we've done? We've mistaken information for intimacy, Folks, there is a vast difference between knowing a lot of stuff about someone and actually knowing them. And in the book of Galatians, we, together, are going to get to know our Jesus. And, and it's going to transcend, right, just a bunch of of information so let's just dig in make some observations about some of the passages that uh, Chris read right so the uh, first thing we see it starts out with a name right Paul an apostle let's kind of stop there this is so amazing to me so this is a book that was actually written as we see here by a man named Paul who was an earlier follow of Jesus but what we often forget when we open up some of Paul's letters is that Paul used to be the church's first and greatest skeptic he fought against the early church with all his might. He believed that this Jesus thing was a cult that needed to be stamped out. He believed that people needed to follow the rules with God. He believed uh, he was a, a teacher of that. He, uh, I mean, he, this guy just did a complete about-face. And then one day, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 9, one day this Paul, this violent persecutor, an agitator, critic of the local church, meets Jesus. I mean, he receives the gospel, right? The good news. Jesus and we'll talk more about what that is in just a minute he he responds to that message and it just changes everything about his life it changes the way he thinks it changes the way he acts it changes what he believes it transforms and changes everything about his life and now this man who is an agitator and a persecutor and probably a murderer we know he at least approved of murdering and killing Christians is now called an apostle. I mean, like, you know, a, a direct, you know, one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, right? He's an apostle. And then he just goes on to say this, look, and I wasn't sent by man. Look, I was sent here by God. He's, what he's saying is, look, I'm not making this up as I go along, folks. 
right? This is, I received what I'm writing to you from God. This is not my opinion. This is not about me. This is not a result of my personality. I'm here and I'm writing to you uh, by virtue of God and his authority. And then he says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now this is so important. And this is, listen, this is the cornerstone of the gospel. Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is the cornerstone. And a lot of times, and I get this, people will ask me a question. And it's a question that goes like this. And I get it. It's really a good question. But they'll say, well, listen, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, why couldn't God have just waved a magic wand and said, you're all forgiven? And that's a, don't you think that's a good question? I think it's an outstanding question. Why did Jesus have to die? And uh, so I just want to talk about this right now, actually. So the reason Jesus had to die is because of this. I want, to, I want to throw a phrase out there that some of you may have heard, others of you may not, uh, but the phrase is this, death in our world, the way our world works, death is the engine of life. In other words, life always builds on death. This is the way our world works. So when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't doing something outside of the way our world works. He was doing something in agreement with the way our world works. And you prove it every single time you eat. So some of us, we're going to get out of church, we're going to go grab a meal, right? We're going to go and we're going to look at a plate and maybe that plate has a chicken leg on it. Guess what? That chicken had to die so that you could eat and live. And some of you are like, well, that's why I'm a vegetarian. Fine, but guess what? That tomato, the moment it got plucked off the vine, that tomato started to die. And by virtue of that death, it brings you life. See? This is why, folks, that things like uh, snowballs and Twinkies and Ho-Hos, they're not good for you. Do you know why? Because nothing had to die for you to eat it. This is truth. This is absolutely truth. Now, how many of you are so in love with Twinkies and Ho-Hos that you don't care whether it's good for you or not? You just want one. Okay, there you go. Who else? Who else is in? Way in the back. Heads up. Yeah, sure. Anybody on this side? I see it right there. There it goes. Nice snag. Well done. And over on this side. Good. Excellent. Oh, I'm looking at some sad eyes over there. I don't have any left. I actually threw out more than I was supposed to. I was supposed to save two for the second service. And I totally blew it. Uh, so, yeah, death is the engine of life, right? It is. So when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't doing something that was any different than the thing that we do every single day. And I'll tell you something else about the death of Jesus, a second reason why it's so necessary and why it was so important. Because when you love someone and their wandering and their selfishness and their rebellion hurts someone else, 
See, listen, it isn't your, your problem and mine isn't just that we sin. It's that our sinfulness, our brokenness, our bad decisions, our bad choices, our selfishness, our waywardness, my desire that I was born with to go my own way and do my own thing, and it doesn't matter what it does to anybody else, and it doesn't matter what God says, because I'm going to do what I want to do. This is at the essence of what the Bible calls sin. And every one of us are infected with that. And that's why these next two words are so important. I mean, tantamount to the gospel, tantamount to, like it's out, the gospel has outed every one of us in the room as broken, as defective. You know, through the decisions that we made, the choices that we made, the direction that we moved, because of our selfishness. Listen, there's one interest in the room that all of us in the room share, and it's self-interest. And self-interest is, at its essence, uh, you know, what the Bible calls sin, waywardness, rebellion. And all of us are infected with that. And that's what makes these next two words so important. He goes on to say this. He says, uh, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Because of our brokenness, there's grace for that through Jesus. Now listen, here's the second reason. Okay, so we, talk, we said the first reason is that death is the engine of life. The second is that our God is righteous and holy. Check out what Psalm 711 says about God. God is a righteous judge. Now when, this, when the Bible uses this word righteous, it doesn't just mean that God does good stuff or that God is holy or that God is like holier or more righteous than us. But it means that that's his character. It, it transcends just that he does good things. It means he's completely and totally righteous. And therefore, when he watches the sin of one of his kids, the selfishness of one of his children rub off and harm and hurt other of his children, and all of us have been on both sides of that equation, right? All of us in the room have said and done things. We've, I am a person who has hurt and wounded others. And I'm also one who has been hurt and been wounded by others. And when our God, who the Bible says is a righteous judge, looks down and sees all that, look what it says. He says he feels indignation every single day day now some of you are like well see that just that right there that's my conception of God God is just indignant with me every single day no that's not what the verse is saying it's not saying that God is indignant or mad at you in fact one of the amazing truths of the gospel that we're going to tease out in this book is that all the wrath of God all the indignation all the anger got poured out on Jesus at the cross so guess what that means it means God isn't angry with you anymore he took that out on his son Jesus so that you wouldn't have to feel his wrath and his indignation but make no mistake the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
So there had to be a death to pay the price and pay the penalty for your sin. And the righteousness of God won't just let him. Somebody has to pay. I mean, this is at the heart of our judicial system, right? Somebody's got to pay, and we know this. When somebody wrongs you, what's the first thing you, say, you think to yourself? I mean, you even intuit this in your spirit. You'll say, man, I really want to make them pay. They should really pay. That was not fair that they did that. I mean, where do you even get your idea for fairness? You know where you get it from? You get it from a righteous God. Friends, if there isn't a righteous God, there's no such thing as fair and unfair. Those words don't even exist without the presence of absolute righteousness and absolute holiness. And so he says grace and peace, right? Because just like me you guys some of you in the room like like we we go we go our own way we do our own thing and then he goes on to say this grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins there it is right that substitutionary death in my place the death i deserved he took on himself to make that payment to satisfy the demands of a righteous judge and a righteous king and then it goes on to say this, to rescue us, this is so fascinating, from the present evil age. Now a lot of us read that and we think this, we think, you know, that probably is like a reference to Rosemary's Baby or like the omen or, you know, like paranormal activity or something like that, right? You know, uh, the grudge or whatever. This is, that's what the present evil age is. And, and actually, that's not what Paul means at all. I mean, listen, if you were seeing regular demonic activity all over your life, you'd be in your Bible every day. I mean, you'd be begging, like, for prayer. You'd be, I mean, you'd be pleading, right? But see, because you don't, here's what he's saying. He's saying that in our day and age, we have so many options that we just get lulled to sleep. Because we're just busy checking our social media and, you know, responding to email. And we get so wrapped up in life and there's so many things to do that we just get lulled to sleep and we forget what really matters and what's most important and what's really ultimately going to last. That's what he means by this present evil age. And then he goes on to say, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Of course, God should be given glory. Look what he did in sending his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But then Paul changes his tone. And he's like, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. And this is so fascinating to me. He doesn't say that you're so quickly deserting the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, you're deserting him. You're wandering away from him. You're walking away from him. It's him that you're deserting. It's not a bunch of information. You're walking out on a relationship. You're walking away from a person. It's not just that you walked away from believing some facts. In other words, to walk away from the gospel is to walk away from Jesus. The two are tied together. And he says, look, you're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Right, which he says is really no gospel at all. In other words, he's saying, look, you're turning to something different. You're perverting the good news into something it's not meant to be, and therefore it's not even good news anymore. Because you're going right back to, well, it all depends on me. It's all about my effort. It's all about my self-discipline. 
If I can, you know, generate enough effort or self-discipline, then, you know, I'm good with God, right? And he goes on to say this, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And we talked about this at the beginning of the message, right? There's two ways this gets done. Either, hey, it's too easy and i got to help Jesus out. And we're going to see that again and again and again in this book. And then the second way it gets perverted is, hey, that's great news. I can live any way I want. And here's what I would say to that. Listen, the gospel is about Jesus. And if you, so if you don't want Jesus, then you don't want the gospel. I mean, if you just want fire insurance, right? If you just want a, a ticket out of hell, right? If that's all you're interested in, but you're not interested in Jesus, well, it's impossible for you to receive the gospel because the good news of the gospel is intimacy with Jesus, not just information about him, but a genuine relationship with God the Father through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you don't want that relationship with Jesus, then you don't want the gospel in the first place, right? And this is why Paul goes and he says this, verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, this is such strong language. He says, let him be eternally condemned. In other words, he's saying they should go to hell. They should go to hell. This gospel is so important that if people are going to pervert it and twist it, they should rot in hell. Now remember, these are people that God loves. But he feels so strongly about this gospel, right? And then he goes on, and he, so then he kind of repeats it. And when you see repetition in Scripture, that, that means, hey, this is super important, right? Like this is a blinking red light here, pay attention. He says the same thing in verse 9. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And then he says something interesting that seems like a separate thought, but it's not at all. He says, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God or am I trying to please men if I were still trying to please men I would not be a servant of Christ so here's what's going on in Paul's day here's why I threw that in in verse 10 because as Paul was preaching the gospel he was being accused by another group of teachers of kind of soft paddling the word of God in other words he was being accused of making the gospel too easy for people to receive so these other religious teachers would stand up and they would say no 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 that's too easy if people do that, they're just going to, if they think it's that easy, they're just going to live any way they want to. No, you have to trust Jesus and do a bunch of other stuff. You have to trust Jesus and be circumcised. No thank you, right? You have to trust Jesus and follow the rules. You have to trust Jesus and do everything that the Old Testament says that you should do. And Paul is going to say, look, this isn't about trying to peddle the gospel to win hearts and influence people. I'm not backpedaling on the gospel. If I was doing that, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ in the first place, right? So 
See, Paul was writing to a group of people that are made up a lot like a lot of us. We hear about the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Canceling out my sin debt. That's the gospel. We hear that news and we think, well, there's got to be something more. And listen, when a church gets infected with this, it's a bad day. It's like a cancer that starts to come in. You know, like, so, hey, you've got to trust Christ and be baptized. You've got to trust Christ and go to church three times a week. You've got to trust Christ and read your Bible every day. You've got to trust Christ and be in a small group, which we want you in a small group, all right? But for a totally different reason. Listen, we don't, we don't join groups here to check boxes. We join groups here to, to, to enter into intimacy with Jesus as a family and as a community. We, we do that to, to be disciples of Jesus, right? Not to earn God's approval or favor, but because we already have it and we want to grow in that. We want to grow in an understanding, in an awareness of that kind of love that's so otherworldly, so different than the way that you and I are prone to loving one another, right? This is the good news of Jesus, that he loves you just the way you are right now now that doesn't mean that he doesn't the part of the call of the gospel is a call to change but the call to change is rooted in the fact not that god if you're in christ not that god looks at you and sees some wicked you know decrepit person that he despises the call to change the call to growth, the call to intimacy is rooted in his love. Not his anger, not his wrath. Not because of his disappointment in you. It's anchored and rooted in a, in a, in a God who's over the top, crazy in love with you and wants to live life with you. And that is at the heart of what it means to receive the gospel message. But yet, there are some of you, if you're honest, right, who you still walk through the door and you're, you kind of, you know, because you're checking boxes, right? It's about checking the boxes. And so you come in and it's like, well, you know, God doesn't love me very much this week. Why? Well, because of my behavior. I did this. I didn't do that. Folks, that is not the gospel. That is not the heart it is not the heartbeat. It is not the soul of Christianity. It will only lead you to exhaustion. And God wants better for you. God wants more. So here's what I'd like to do. I just want to pray for you. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey this morning, we are so glad that you are here. I want to pray good things for you as we open this book week after week all through the fall and we just dive in deep to what God wants to do and, and how God wants to draw us close. Would everybody just bow their head for a minute? Hey, Lord Jesus, would you, uh, man, would you just change the way that we sometimes think about you? Would you just change the way that we're often tempted to behave in light of you? Would, would you transform our desire, uh, you know, for you as we realize how much desire that you have for us? I mean, how could it be that the God that created the universe could desire me? 
And so, God, just help us to do whatever we have to do this fall, whether it be, you know, hear the Word of God on weekends, study the Word of God through the week in small groups. God, whatever it is that we have to do to grow in that awareness, God, would you do that for us today? And we just, we ask it and pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.